Welcome to the IEEE Quantum Podcast Series, an IEEE Future Directions digital studio production. This podcast series informs on the landscape of the quantum ecosystem and highlights projects and activities on quantum technologies. This episode features Robert Laskowski, President, CEO, and Chairman, Quantum Computing Inc., and William McCain, the company's Chief Operating and Technology Officer. They share insights on the current state of the quantum landscape and the promise of quantum as the technology advances. Gentlemen, thank you for taking time to contribute to the IEEE Quantum Podcast Series. To get started, can you please introduce yourselves and provide a little info on your positions? My name is Bill McGann. I'm the Chief Technology Officer and the Chief Operations Officer for Quantum Computing uh, Incorporated. And, um, you know, the role I serve is kind of self-explanatory in that vein, but really focused on doing what the business needs to do from an operations and infrastructure perspective with a tremendous focus on technology and innovation as a, a new entrant, really, with uh, some very exciting new capabilities in the quantum industry. And, uh, uh, Brian, I'm Bob Laskowski. I'm the CEO of the company, <laughs> one of the co-founders. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to facilitate the work, the great work that Bill and the team are doing here. So my job's pretty easy. I just have to give them plenty of money to keep working. So what's your high-level view on the current state of the quantum ecosystem? Uh, yeah, maybe I can start off from a business perspective, and, and Bill can certainly weigh in on that on the technology side. So, you know, since we started doing this over almost a little bit over four years ago, you know, the market then was very, very early stage, right? And um, it's slightly matured today, right? More entrants in the marketplace, uh, more hardware vendors, more software vendors. Um, but I think there's been, you know, the, this, uh, I don't want to call it hype necessarily, although it's clearly there is some of that. But I think there was this overbuilt expectation of when quantum computing was going to really provide some sort of material value. Now, people talk about quantum supremacy or quantum advantage or what have you. But in reality, I think, you know, they're looking to try to eke out some benefit out of quantum computing and understand what that means, clearly in the business sense. And I think so far, the market has not been able to realize that to any degree, uh, any great degree. Um, although there's been significant investment yet to try to get to that point. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's still this opportunity here for, you know, companies to really demonstrate that, you know, quantum computing is going to provide some near-term benefit. Certainly it will in, in, a, in a few years. Um, and, you know, we can talk about where we play in that space and we will. Um, but I think the market's still characterized by this uh, level of anticipation in terms of what quantum computing will bring. And therefore, most of the entrants in the space today or most of the folks who are um, dabbling in quantum computing at the client level are doing it from a curiosity standpoint, not one from which they, they think they're getting any kind of business value yet. Hey, Bill, you have anything to add? Yeah, I mean, to sort of punctuate a couple of things Bob, Bob overviewed there. I mean, I think, you know, the industry in total is sort of you know no longer embryonic but it's still kind of in a nascent stage right where there are a lot of um different implementations of of hardware architectures um all of which have some promise none of which are de uh, demonstrating enough scale scalability yet to be truly practical to a for commercial endeavor let's say right so they're people are still very heads down on their own technology, very focused on demonstrating they can build a certain kind of a gate that has a certain type of, you know, 
decoherence, you know, characteristic, or they, you know, D-Wave has their annealer where they're trying to continually improve <clears throat> the performance of these of these architectures. And as of yet, you know, the industry hasn't really come into into a place where uh, you can solve real world customer problems to provide cost benefits, for example, to a supply chain problem or a financial institution or, you know, a banking institution or even, um, you know, uh, optimization problems that relate to chemistry, for example. So all these things are possible. And, and you know, QCI, I think Bob's probably going to go back to this, but maybe we'll, we'll play back and forth a little bit here. I mean, QCI was kind of founded somewhat on the basis of we can have really good software technology capabilities to help bridge the gap between current levels of hardware performance and where the industry wants solution performance to be by using powerful like machine learning algorithms, for example, to expand on the capabilities of the current hardware. Uh, and then, of course, as you know, more recently, we ourselves have, have become a full stack provider with our own hardware, which we're really excited about. So the industry is changing like that uh, in, in that direction where people are more and more full stack, recognizing that you can't just have software and you can't just have hardware. You have to put it together in a meaningful way. And if I can um, just build on that a little bit, Brian, because you know, Bill did mention, I think, a very important part. When we, when we started the company, you know, we started off as a software platform with the intent of bringing quantum computing to end users without having to have the burden or necessarily the resources, uh, the quantum computing and quantum programming resources to allow a quantum computer to work, right? So it's not, as we know now, and I think your audience is probably well aware, you just can't program a quantum computer as you can a normal, you know, classical computer and get things to work. You know, there's none of that sort of architecture, the software architecture to allow that to happen easily. So, um, you know, the IBMs of the world have their toolkits and all the, all the vendors have some form of a toolkit that require some significant levels of programming um, to be able to get them to work. And then you need to have the problem formulation and tuning the problem to the computer, et cetera. And you kind of go through this iterative process. It's pretty high cost. So QCI saw the opportunity of creating a platform that would actually disintermediate the need for those high-level resources and allow an end user to actually formulate their problem to run on a QPU. You know, and we do that through Bracket. We can run on any number of QPUs. And you know, we've had success in doing that. The challenge is, as we both alluded to here, is that the, the QPUs themselves are not really providing the benefit based upon their computational capability that the users get any real benefit from, but they can dabble in it and they can play with it and they can they can show that there's some, some promise for quantum computing downstream. So when we started going off in this direction, we were hoping the, um, the industry would actually accelerate a little bit further, you know, faster than it did, but we've had a modicum of success with this nonetheless. So for us, and we think we're still pointed in the right direction, but as Bill talked, you know, just mentioned, with this recent acquisition we did, it kind of changes the game for us. So QCI recently announced a software update. Uh, how has that helped advance the quantum space? Yeah, it's, uh, I could take that one to start with, Bob. So let's talk in, in real terms by example, right? So um, late last year, early this year, there was a, a publicly announced problem by uh, BMW to put a sensor optimization problem out there for people to demonstrate capability, right? And they didn't put constraints on... Uh, 
it had to be a quantum computer or a classical computer. They were just looking for technology solutions to solve a, not a huge uh, problem, but a real world problem in terms of scale of being uh, the equivalent of many thousands of qubits, right? Which is probably a factor of 20 uh, greater than any of the current hardware qubit counts that you see talked about today. So these things were operating in the re regime of, you know, three, four, 5,000, you know, uh, independent variables to solve and, and come up with an optimum solution. And uh, QCI using our, uh, our software algorithmic approach and a combination with a D-Wave um, hardware set, we're actually able to provide a solution to, to that problem. Um, and so that was a pretty good sort of proof point to us that, you know, we had something algorithmically that could take current set of hardware, namely in this case, a D-Wave annealer, which on a problem with this kind of mapping and density would not be able to probably consume more than about 150, you know, independent variables in that nature of the problem. We were able to expand it to perform at the level of about 3,800. Um, so that was a pretty big amplification of the, the, the qubit capability and the way we did it, maybe the details are not that important, is we, the algorithm allowed the, the D-Wave hardware to not have to do the embedded threading that it does to use most of its qubits as you know, ancillary qubits to do connectivity versus to do computing. And, and we got answers, we got you know, sensor counts and coverage maps that we were able to present. So it was kind of like, it was, it was that or not provide a solution, right? So um, that was a great example of the variation al algorithm for the, for the D-Wave annealer. And we did a similar uh, algorithm approach for, for a gate model system called IonQ, but it would work for any gate model system in principle where it does similarly uses machine learning to provide a good starting point and sort of provide the right perturbation to the system so that it converges quickly and gives the system more scale beyond to solve problems greater than the number of qubits physically in the system. You've also recently finalized an acquisition. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how it's impacted the company? Well, we weren't looking to do an acquisition when that came along. Uh, quite honestly, we were just heads down focusing on, as Bill's pointed out here, you know, really focused on software and, and the amplification of the software and pursuing that. Um, they approached us um, very, you know, smart, a small little startup out of Stevens Tech, headed up by the CEO, Dr. Yuping Wang, a brilliant physicist, um, has done some interesting work there and wanted to commercialize his, he's already started a company, and he wanted to get into the commercial space and, and actually get into the public market. So he, he initially approached us, and when we began the conversations, the thing that was, you know, was really apparent in the conversations was that we were very much aligned both from a business philosophical point of view, as well as, as a, um, you know, a, a really a business goal as well. Right. So philosophically, you know, he, as well as we wanted to bring quantum computing to the business environment, right. We didn't want this to be an elitist approach where only a select company, you know, a few companies that could afford to get into quantum computing with the resources necessarily could do that. We believed, um, and still do believe that the more, users there are in the quantum computing space, the more the, the, the industry is going to benefit, not just from because of the marketability of it, 
But most like every other technology, the more users are involved, the more the applications get developed, they demand more from the technology. It really, really makes it, uh, uh, you know, makes the industry have to be responsive to that. And we believe that that's the case. So we're philosophically aligned on there. And then technologically, um, he and Bill, Bill is much better at describing this than I, but I just tell you from a business perspective, he, he has a, um, uh, the research that he's done and the IP that we are developing uh, with him now under QCI's banner, um, because it uses photonics, has so many business advantages, not just because it actually has a computational capability that, as we'll demonstrate, can, can actually deliver business value today for a quantum computer, but the infrastructure, because it's photonic-based, it's room temperature, uh, doesn't require any special infrastructure, uh, and it's, it's, it's desktop size, meaning that it's a very scalable, very supportable type of machine that you know we believe is going to be, and I and I you know hesitate to, to use some big language here, but it's, we do believe it's going to be a game-changing type of approach. Um, we didn't know that in the beginning. You know, we we liked the idea of where it was going to go. The more we got involved in the transaction, doing our due diligence, and we did this over several months, um, and we got to know Dr. Uh, Wong it became very apparent that he had technology that is indeed going to change the way people view quantum computing. So um, it made the transaction for us um, all the more sensical in terms of what the value we were gonna be able to provide to the shareholders because um, we have become a full stack quantum computer. And it's interesting, right? A software company buying a hardware company um, but more important than that, because we've become a full stack company uh, and uh, quantum computing company, we can deliver the promise of quantum computing to end users through the software platform, right through the computational output and the results. Um, and we can do it in a way that's not just cost effective, but obviously computationally very effective. And um, so it made all the sense to us in the world. And I think Bill can probably give you the, a better description for, uh, than I. So, Bill, how do you see this helping advance quantum? And in what particular vertical markets are you focused? So, you know, just to, to thread the needle from what, what Bob was saying, um, it, it became very apparent very quickly to us that the, the partnership was strong between the, hard, the, the Q-Photon hardware and our software approach. And so we endeavored to do a merger and successfully closed one. And, and the partnership is is stronger every day between us. Um, the hardware itself is incredibly impactful. Um, I don't wanna make bold claims either, but I'll tell you what is factual that I have physically done with the machine myself and observed being done uh, with some of my colleagues. Um, so the, the BMW challenge I just mentioned that we did last year with um, a D-Wave machine uh, being supported by our uh, machine learning software. Well, this year we're presenting um, data, actually on Monday, it's coming Monday, to BMW as a summary report, and I'll be doing a presentation, uh, a PowerPoint, you know, 20-minute presentation with questions and answers. Um, the same problem, 3,854 variables, I believe is the count roughly, and um, we solved that problem with no software, just a direct um, input of the problem into our new uh, entropy quantum computer, which operates at room temperature and got very good results, given that this is a brand new platform uh, 
for hardware computing. And I think it, it gives us a seat at the table of moving the industry forward in a, in a direction that takes perhaps some of the estimates of where quantum computing might be by 2025. I think we're, we're there much sooner based on that one example alone. And we have other um, people now, potential customers, but certainly people interested in partnering with us in um, financial services, um, as well as in um, uh, computational uh, fluid mechanics, people that are doing, you know, wind farm kind of mapping, uh, where, you know, the, the, the mathematics is fairly complex and the interactions are quite complex. Uh, and, and the variable diversity can be quite large to solve these problems with you know, a, a good level of granularity. And, and we're solving those problems today with, uh, with, with our new hardware. So how do you view the role of the IEEE Quantum Initiative in helping advance quantum technology? So, uh, great question. I think, um, you know, when we start talking about inclusivity and, and the ability for us to be able to, uh, you know, widely scale quantum computing, you know, I think the notion of, of standards clearly is, is um, uh, you know, is an important one. We've all worked in industries before where, as we've seen earlier on in, you know, in the classical industry, you know, computing standards and, you know, uh, software standards are all difficult to be able to kind of enforce because it's a race to the finish line. And there are many different ways to do that. I think the quantum computing industry is probably no different. As Bill earlier mentioned, you know, you've got gate model, you've got annealing, you've got these different approaches to ostensibly achieve the same goal. Um, but that's a pretty costly approach for the average, you know, user community to be able to adopt. And I think I'm not suggesting there's going to necessarily be standards here that are going to be widespread yet because there's no clear winner in the quantum computing industry. But I do believe that, you know, a more standardized approach and, you know, helps the academic institutions once we get out of the research phase of, uh, you know, trying to really commercialize quantum computing. And once things become more, you know, uh, steady state in terms of the application space, you know, I think that's where the lessons of the past are going to be very applicable to what the future can be. Um, you know, and I think the IEEE has been a leadership, has been leading, uh, and clearly leading in this space for quite a long time. Um, so, you know, I, th I think the efforts there are, are, are really um, well-founded and well-positioned um, uh, for quantum computing. Okay. Bill, did you want to add anything? Um, you know, I, I think Bob Bob said it well. I mean, um, it is definitely too early to sort of pick a winner, and and I'm not convinced at this point that that's actually a good thing, anyway, because I think the the diversity of problems in the world that, as I'm aware of it, is you know probably not going to be resolved or or addressed by one particular type of quantum system. Um, for example, annealers are really good at finding, you know, the optimum point in, in a sort of a diverse, you know, topological map or find the ground state with a whole bunch of constraints placed upon it. Um, you know, gate model machines are, are more like a general purpose, 
you know, machine that does calculations, right? They actually are quite different. Um, now, they can, they can be kind of forced into each other's domain space, you know, because people that build and design these machines are capable of you know, thinking how to, you know, reconfigure their architecture. But the way these things have naturally come about is that they, they kind of have natural sweet spots, right? I guess is maybe a good way to say it. And, and I think that's probably going to be around for at least a very long time, if not for, for the foreseeable future, a long time. Um, and, and that's okay. I mean, that's okay. I mean, we want to have highly scalable gate model, you know, circuit-based systems to support our entropy quantum computer, for example, is not a gate model machine. It's more like a, a D-Wave vanilla. Now it doesn't use, doesn't rely on the same physics, but it, it ends up with a similar sort of uh, result when you put a problem in it. It's got a sweet spot for finding, you know, highly constrained, high variable count, you know, you know, cost objective kind of problems where you find find the best answer. Um, it's beautifully built for that. And we're demonstrating that as we speak. So, um, so I guess, you know, there's a diversity of problems is going to require a diversity of technologies. And we just want to have a seat at the table and, you know, pick the right partners and pick the right, you know, verticals for us to go after. Thank you again, both for taking time to speak with us today. In closing, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share? Well, I think, you know, from our standpoint, I'll speak to you as the CEO of the company, is that, uh, you know, Bill and, and Yu Ping and the team, but really led by Bill and, and Yu Ping, have a tremendous vision of where we think we can bring quantum computing today. And I would tell you as the CEO of the company, we try to do this in a very realistic and very pragmatic way, right? We don't try to hype it up. We try to be very evidence-based, very fact-based. Now, we, if we say we can do 3,000 variables, we can do 3,000 variables. If we can say we have a problem that we can solve that's got a business relevance to it, we can do that. And we're, we're very willing to, to demonstrate that kind of proof because you know, we're a small little company. Um, we're not an IBM, we're not Google, we don't have big names next to us. Um, so people aren't going to believe a little company like ours could necessarily do it, but I will tell you, um, we can prove it. And I always believe that the best innovation comes from small companies. And, uh, and with Bill and, and you paying and the team, they're going to prove it. Thank you for listening to our interview with Bob Laskowski and Bill McGame. To learn more about the IEEE Quantum Initiative, please visit our web portal at quantum.ieee.org.